everyone and welcome to the podium. This is the place where we celebrate the best from the world of motorsport. My name is Jason Skyless and we've got yet another huge edition of our show to bring you. This time around we're going to be speaking with a guy that's competed in over 350 supercars races. It's Tim Slade and Tim's going to be joining us shortly on the podium to talk about the awesome run he had at the mountain a few weeks ago. He drives for one of the smallest teams in the supercars field. However, you wouldn't know it with the performance that they put in. They were top five in qualifying and they finished the race in the top 10. What a performance it was. And Tim's going to join us to talk about that. He's also going to be talking about Gen 3 and giving us his thoughts on a few of the other things happening in the world of supercars. And a little later on the show, we're going to be joined with an icon of sports car racing. He's won some of the most prestigious events in sports cars. He's won at Le Mans, Daytona, Nürburgring, Sebring, and the Bathurst 12-hour endurance events. It's Patrick Long. And Patrick's going to be joining us to talk about some of those awesome moments from his career. He's a factory Porsche driver. He's done pretty much all there is in the world of motorsport. He's competed in NASCAR. He's even competed in the V8 Supercar Championship at the Gold Coast a number of years ago. So Patrick's going to be joining us to talk about that. He's going to be sharing some awesome stories from his career, what it was like growing up with a fair few Australian drivers as well uh, in his early days of his career, and what he's doing now after stepping aside from full-time competition. So it's an exciting show. And if you're a new listener to the show, welcome If you haven't done so already, head over to your favourite podcasting platform. It's probably where you're listening to this podcast and you can get up to speed on any previous editions of the podium there. Right after this, we're going to get things started though with Tim Slade. He's up next on the podium. This is the podium where we celebrate the best from the world of motorsport and our next guest has competed in over 350 supercar races. He currently drives the number three Mustang GT for BRT in the Supercars Championship. It's the one and only Tim Slade. Tim, thanks for joining us on the podium. No problem. Now, Tim, before we talk about the Supercar Championship season for you in 2021... Talk about the season away from the main game. Um, yeah, so basically, um, well, I was, was meant to do the Enduros, uh, well, three Enduros last year with um, CJ Tempensky and, and uh, Scotty Mack. But um, I guess that'll change with all the, the COVID situation, turning to only, um, yeah, one race at Bathurst. Yeah. As opposed to, to three, and then I had a heap of um, yeah GT stuff lined up overseas as well, which uh, yeah included some some pretty uh, cool iconic races in um, you know Le Mans twenty four and Spa twenty four, and um, had a race at Kailami in Indianapolis, but um, yeah, unfortunately, just because of the all the sort of travel restrictions, wasn't able to do any of that either, which is uh, disappointing. But, um, yeah, it was it was good to, to have a bit of um, time away, a bit of a, a reset and, and refresh uh, from supercars, you know, I've sort of done it for a long time. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, Tim Blanchard and I have, have been um, quite, quite good mates for a, a long time now. Um, we actually raced. Carts at, uh, at, a, at a similar time, and then we were, were teammates in Formula Ford, and then teammates again in, in supercars. So, um, 
at the time he was, I guess, planning all of uh, the BRT um, situation. I was actually doing some work for for Cool Drive. Um, yeah, because I I didn't have any racing on. I was going crazy at home, so I rang around a few mates, and um, yeah, they were were short staffed at, at one of their branches, so went and actually worked there for. Oh, what was it, two or three months? Um, so, yeah, I guess it kind of just all, uh, all went from there pretty much. Yeah, now 2020, like you said there, you had iconic sports car races planned as well as the Enduro Cup, which ended up being only one race. Tell us, how did you prepare for that one and only supercars round of the championship in 2020? Um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot um, that I could do. Um, just spent... Plenty of time in at um, in at the workshop on the on the simulator, which was uh, quite handy. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did a few laps um, just out at Queensland Raceway. Just I guess anything um, that I could get in and, and have a steer of, I, I jumped that. So um, that was just in a uh, an M4 pro- or yeah M4 production car and. Um, a yeah day day in the cart. I was actually planning on doing um, three days in the cart, but then um, yeah, ribs pulled up pretty average halfway through the first day. So um, yeah, I guess kind of did 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 what I could, um, but yeah, pretty much all the co-drivers were in, in a similar boat. So um, yeah, the, the team were I guess really good in in making sure that I I, I guess could could be as best prepared as possible. Well, yeah, you were, you know, the the star co-driver of that Bathurst 1000, of course. And like you said there, you had all the things going on behind the scenes with uh, Tim Blanchard and establishing the team. You started the 2021 season at the Bathurst racetrack as well. And what a debut weekend for the team. Front row start for that race. What were the emotions going into that race? Uh, going in... Um Oh, yeah, I wouldn't really say there was any sort of standout emotions, um, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, um, I guess, excited to finally hit the track after, uh, I guess, yeah, a oh, few. Well, it actually wasn't a, a massive amount of time, just given the team come together in, in such a, a short period of time that basically, I guess, kind of only really started um, sort of in, well, probably towards the end of November in um in 2020 and then yeah Bathurst was early so um yeah literally went from nothing um you know the workshop is uh part of the cool drive headquarters in Fox Hill in in Melbourne and what was literally um you know pallet racking and and stock in a in a corner of uh a warehouse got turned into a race team and yeah it's, it's really cool in that there's still a lot of the you know cool drive um, different departments in and around the race team. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was workshop from from nothing, transporter, car, tools, staff. Um, so yeah, you know the the Blanchards uh, did a a phenomenal job in um, um, you know putting it all together in such a short period of time. And you know we had some some really good people. Um, I guess a fair mix of people in the team, even though there's only really five full time um, who are actually um, apprentice mechanics and you know we had some really experienced guys in in Merco my engineer and and uh, Brendan Hogan the team manager um, so yeah I guess uh, I, I felt as though we, we sort of 
ticked all the all the right boxes in in people and um, equipment and and whatever else. And it was probably you know I guess we expected there to be some um, I guess thieving dramas of being a, a, a new a new little team. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Tickford, if it's a Tickford uh, or a car that, that's come from Tickford and, you know, their base car has, has been pretty speedy at Bathurst the last few years. So I guess it was nice going to Bathurst knowing that the the base car um, had been good there in the past. And um, yeah, I guess up until what happened in the first race, it was, um, uh, yeah, I guess it probably couldn't have really gone any better. Uh, but then, yeah, we all know how that ended but uh um yeah i feel as a, a year as a whole was um was was pretty solid and yeah super excited for, for next year oh, i can imagine and yeah like you said they're pretty much the smallest team on the grid and to put it on the front row of the grid i think it surprised many race fans many of the other team owners out there and yeah, quite remarkable there, like you said, what took place here for the qualifying for that race. And then, unfortunately, yeah, as we kind of mentioned there, there was a huge crash during the race and it put pay to the team for the weekend. But, yeah, you know, from there, you know, you guys have had such a strong, solid season. 12 top 10 qualifying results. I think 14 top 10 finishes in the races. Top 12 in the championship standings. If you had to rate yourself and the team out of 10, what would you, would you what would you give yourself and the team out of 10 for this year? Uh, oh, I don't really like doing doing ratings, particularly on myself. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we um, we we both made um, you know well when I say both, I'm, I'm saying uh, myself and and you know the team as a whole. We we um, yeah we're not not perfect, but um, I guess you know that's expected in in the first year, and um, probably the the biggest area as a team we lack this year is just um, pit stops, pretty much in in the races. But I guess um, we've been short staffed all year. It's it's pretty hard to get staff at the moment, so we've basically just had for the for the first few, few rounds we had um, different uh, like ring in weekend guys that that came and worked. So I guess. Um, yeah, you sort of uh, compare that to, you know, the, the big established teams which would do, you know, pit stop training probably almost every day of the week and we're just rocking up with, yeah, different guys to, for the first few weekends of the year. So um, that's going to be a big focus for us in, in the off-season um, is, yeah, all the, the pit stop side of things just because it's, it's such a, I guess, important part of the races these days with the, the sprint format basically you know however fast you can change your tires is is what your your pit stop time is and if you lose you know three four or five seconds in a pit stop then um yeah that that can lead to a lot of a lot of positions on track so um yeah uh, i guess we we know the areas that um you know we need to improve on um you know myself included and and that's what we'll be uh working hard towards in the off-season. Well, yeah, you mentioned the pit stops there. With the wreck situation at the moment, it looks like you guys might have a pit boom to yourselves, unfortunately, which means more resources. Yeah, talk about what that's going to do to the team if there can't be another car on the grid next season. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, at, at this stage, um, well, I mean, for, for those who don't know, we share um, six and second boom with, with their third car. Um, 
So essentially, you know, it's half their pit crew, half our pit crew in the in the pit stops. Um, I guess there's there's pros and cons to it all. Um, you know, we we go back to the, the start of pit lane um, instead of being where where Tickford is um, towards the front, um, which isn't which isn't the the end of the world. Um, but uh, yeah, we 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 do have to bring away more people. Um, than, than I guess what we sort of employ full time to, to do the pit stops. So it's going to be um, yeah a bit of a challenge in, in getting um, you know the extra extra people. Um, but I guess you know another pro as well is um, you know not not having the risk of, of stacking when you're two cars per one pit burn. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last race of the championship season was the Bathurst One Thousand. Uh, yourself and Tim Blanchard sharing the car there. And once again, what was it about the Bathurst track? Because you guys were flying once again in the top 10 shootout, top five in the qualifying session, and a top 10 finish, a very strong finish in the top 10. Talk us through your Bathurst 1000 and why you believe the car is so strong there. Um, yeah, I, I guess, like, like I said, just the, the base sort of Pickford. Uh, Car and, and set up there is uh, is is quite strong and, and fast in both you know quality and race trim. Um, you know I was, I was pretty happy with our week at, uh, week as a whole at Bathurst. Um, you know every session was was pretty solid and super happy with um, with qualifying and, and getting into the shootout. Uh, and then yeah we were a little bit disappointed with our end race result. We just had a little problem with the car which um, sort of hurt our, our speed a little bit throughout the race so I think we, we could have um, I mean it's, it's woulda coulda shoulda everyone's got their story but I, I feel as though based on the pace we had for the um, for the rest of the week um, yeah a better result kind of um, went went begging but also you know we, we lost some time in the pits as well so um, yeah like I said all in all I was, I was happy with the week but um, disappointing we, we, we didn't end up with a better result but it was a good good solid way to to, to finish finish the year and um, lots learnt and um, yeah take it all into next year. Most definitely. Well, one of the winners of that race was Lee Holdsworth. You've driven with him before. You've shared a car with him at the Bathurst Twelve Hour. Uh, of course, he won his very first Bathurst One Thousand. He's spent a year out of the championship, and it's just recently been announced that he'll be back in the championship full time. What have you made of uh, Lee Holdsworth's uh, Bathurst win? And the decision that he's made, because you're probably one of the very few that can speak on that, of spending a year out of the championship and coming back in. What have you made of all that? Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm super happy for Lee. He's um, he's a good mate and, you know, uh, a super guy. And, you know, he was, um, uh, I guess, um, result of, of the cruelty of, of motor racing and, I guess, uh, Fully deserving of of a full time, you know, or continuing in his in his full time drive at at Tickford, and you know he you know, his last race he, well, you know he was a man that was on provisional pole for Bathurst, so he definitely wasn't out of the drive due to a, a lack of form. It's just I guess the the way it goes um, sometimes in in motor racing, or or quite often, um, yeah, just with you know behind the scenes financial stuff sponsorship, whatever else. So, um, yeah, I was uh, bummed for him that, you know, he didn't have, well, you know, couldn't continue in a, in a full-time capacity. But, um, 
yeah, definitely, I guess, made the most of, of this year with getting a, a gig in, in the CCR category and, and then, um, yeah, a, a prime Bathurst drive with, with Chaz and, and Walton Shaw. You know, they've been quite strong there the last few times we've been there. So, um, yeah, and, and again, like, you know, along with his, his Bathurst win, I'm, I'm stoked to see him back in there uh, again next year with, uh, with the Bros. Yeah, well... There's a fair few top talented drivers, of, of course, at the moment that can't compete full-time in the championship due to the lack of seats. You've got Zane Goddard this year that's been benched, unfortunately, as well. And James and James Golding as well, who's been very strong in all the other races he's been competing in. What advice would you give to drivers that are on that fringe at the moment between being a co-driver and getting into the main game full-time again? Um, oh, there's no real advice, you know, uh, <laughs> it's all just, um, a matter of situation. I guess all you can do is, is, um, keep working hard at it basically. But, you know, there's, there's so many other factors involved in, in, well, other than just, you know, doing, doing a good job in the race car. So, um, but that's, that's just, that's just motor racing, unfortunately. Um, and you know, there's heaps of, heaps of guys, you know, out there that deserve to be driving, Full time, um, but uh, you know they're not for, for one reason or another. So um, yeah, I think um, yeah, all all, uh, all I could really really say is um, yeah, just basically keep working hard. But it's uh, yeah, there's like I said, there's a lot more to it than just that. Yeah, well, one of the exciting things happening in the championship, we saw them on display at the Bathurst 1000 Gen Three. You got the Camaro and the Mustang. Tell us, what are your thoughts on Gen 3? Uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it, to be honest. Um, I just, you know, hope it, it meets the, the criteria that, um, you know, uh, it, it's meant to. And two, two big things for me is just, I guess, you know, getting the, the cost down for, for the teams and making the racing better, basically. And in terms of the paddle shift and the stick shift debate, what side of the fence are you on? I don't care. Whatever. Whatever works for the teams and for the fans, pretty much. No worries. Well, you've, of course, done a lot of GT racing as well. What do you see the future of motorsport being in this country? Um, I don't think it can really deviate um, too far away from, from what we currently have. I think we're pretty unique here in Australia compared to the rest of the world. Um so yeah, I think it's just maximising the the package that we have, um, and I think yeah, like I said before, two of those um, I guess key areas to me is just getting the the costs or the un. I think there's a lot of unnecessary costs, um, so getting the, the costs down and and just um, making the racing better because at the moment um, half the tracks we go to it's near on impossible to to pass unless you're you know, a second and a half quicker than the bloke in front. So, yeah, they're, they're kind of the, the two main things. But I think, um, yeah, for us here in Australia, uh, I think the the V8 is um, is a pretty key part to it. Um, you know, just some, some tough-looking race cars like, like we have now, which, which allow us to, to do some hard racing and, and bang wheels and move around and, you know, fly over curbs and, and everything else like, like that. So I think that's... Um, yeah, it's pretty much what what we have now, but just um, yeah, improve uh, improve in a in a couple of areas. 
Of course, we heard in the background, you've got your little one there. Uh, you do a lot of things on the side. You've got your own business. Yeah, talk about life outside of racing for you. Um, yes, just got the, the little man, Geordie. Uh, he's running around like a little madman in, in the background. So <laughs> uh, trying to keep keep him entertained while, while mum's at work. Um, yeah, he's, he's 14 months now. But, um, yeah, we're, we're loving being parents and... Uh, yeah, he's, uh, like I said, he's bit flat out and full on, keeps us on our toes. But, uh, yeah, not, I guess it's all, all been, yeah, pretty, pretty quiet life out, outside of racing, um, just with all the, the COVID situation. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a, a weird year in, in having basically, well, it felt like it was kind of what was an off season period of time between Townsville and Sydney. And then, you know, we, we obviously did, um, what was it? What did we do? Five races in six weeks or whatever. Um, and then, you know, it's off season again. So, um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty stop start. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, looking forward to, well, hopefully we, we can achieve that, a, a, a normal season, um, next year. Um, and yeah, it'd be nice to, get back to, to doing some uh, GT racing overseas as well if uh, the opportunity presents itself and, you know, all the travel restrictions, uh, you know, allow me to do so. Fantastic. Well, Tim Slade, all the very best to you and the family for the holiday period. Fantastic run for you and the BRT team this season in the Supercars Championship. And let's hope that continues on next season and we get to see you on the Supercars podium. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. Thanks very much. Tim Slade and his little one there joining us on the podium to talk about that awesome run at the mountain to close out the 2021 Supercars Championship. Right after this, we're going to be joined with an icon of sports car racing. It's Patrick Long, and he's up next on the podium. This is a podium where we celebrate the best from the world of motorsport. And our next guest is an icon of sports car racing. He has finished on the top step of the podium at Le Mans, Nürburgring, Daytona, Petit Le Mans, Sebring, and the Bathurst 12-hour endurance events. In addition to all that, he's also competed in Australia in the V8 Supercars Championship. He currently works in a number of different roles for Porsche Motorsport it's Patrick Long. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us on the podium. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime uh, Australia calls, I know it's going to be a good time, so look forward to chatting. Well, yeah, great to have you on the podium, Patrick. Let's go on a little walk down Victory Lane, shall we? Like I said there in the intro, you've done pretty much everything there is in the world of sports car racing. Let's go back to the very beginning, though, and when you were a little kid, tell us when did you first discover your passion for motorsport? How old were you and, and what, what was happening at the time? Uh, it was short track dirt racing Saturday night, even Thursday night here in Southern California. Ascot was sort of the mecca of, of short track dirt racing, uh, World of Outlaws, Speedway motorcycles, you name it. So from about four years old, I went with my dad, my, my uncle, his younger brother, and my grandfather. And uh, yeah, it was all about enjoying the races and uh, cheering them on. And what were you watching on the TV as a kid? Oh, uh, ESPN, whatever, whatever racing was on, it was pretty much ESPN uh, growing up in the early 80s. Um, 
you know, GTP was a, a big memory for me and really where sports car racing registered uh, in my mind watching, you know, the, the streets of San Antonio and uh, the Davy Jones of the world and the Jags battling the Hurley Haywoods and, and the Al Holberts in, in the Porsche. So super cool uh, period and era of sports car racing and definitely something that I love. But, uh, you know, NASCAR, uh, IndyCar, you name it, uh, anything that was on TV, Swamp Buggy, swamp buggy Racing, uh, I would I would watch it all. Well, that's the thing you mentioned there, watching it as a kid on TV, going to the Speedway tracks with your family. What were the first steps that you took to get actively involved yourself? Uh, like many go-karts, um, my dad and, and his brother that I mentioned, they had a go-kart sort of at the beginning of, of the sport. Um, back back in the 60s here in Los Angeles when hot rodding and the culture of, of motorsport was was just that Saturday night racing and um, you know one of the early go-kart manufacturers at least in, in California was bug and um, they had a bug uh, I think it was a WAP with a max 10 engine on it for those vintage go-kart listeners anyways um, they messed around with go-karts and then 30 years later when I came along and uh, was just sort of finding my feet as a six-year-old I had sort of a homemade go-kart from a garage sale that I used to drive around um, in empty backyards of, of houses. My dad was a construction worker by trade, and so he'd be in installing a wood staircase, and I would be in the backyard burning a hole in the in the, the dirt before they ever built the backyards of those houses with, with my hand-me-down go-kart. Fantastic. Well, what, with, what were the next steps after go-karting? Because, you know, you've competed very highly in the go-karting ranks as well, haven't you? Yeah, my, my, uh, I did about 10 years of, of domestic karting. Um, along the way, I, I joined the international scene on the summers for the world championships and the JICA championships, sort of a 14, 15-year-old. Um, those are the first times that I sort of was introduced to the top level of karting and also to Australian drivers and, and how quick they were in the karting scene. Uh, quickly, I knew the names James Courtney and Ryan Briscoe. And uh, a year later, I was invited by CRG and, and the factory to... Uh, move over to Italy and, and race in the Italian championship and the European championship and, and, and everything in between. And um, Ryan Briscoe actually turned out to be uh, my roommate. We, we lived at the factory. We worked 60 hours a week in the karting shop, you know, building and, and tuning go-karts and uh, really just sweeping the floors uh, and getting in the way. But we were definitely expected to be there on time in the mornings and it kept us out of trouble. And, oh man, so many good memories racing uh, just felt like every single weekend. And, and then and there, it was Formula A, air-cooled, rotary valve, um, factory tire programs, and, and a super competitive class. So that would have been a uh, season of 1998 when I did uh, what felt like 100 races around the world um, in karting um, just before I moved into single-seater for my first opportunity. Fantastic. Well, let's go back a sec because you mentioned there Ryan Briscoe. And James Courtney, two guys that we've had on the podium as well before. Do you have any fun stories to share from your time rooming with Ryan Briscoe and, and working alongside James Courtney? Uh, just tons of tons of awesome stories, but um, nothing too specific. I don't know. I don't know if I want to bury them uh, on this on this uh, interview, <laughs> but no, just just being in seriousness. Uh, you know, we're we're in desenzano uh lonato kind of a, a an amazing um part of town in in northern italy between milan and verona um you know worked worked hard during the week but in the afternoons and the after you know in the weekends we, we had our our built up 50 cc scooters and sort of just terrorizing the small villages with our modified pipes and things of that nature but no it was just 
it was about going and having a gelato sitting by the water and, and just uh, gazing at all the girls. That was really uh, our MO if we weren't racing. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah, just James and Ryan has remained really close friends of mine. And I, I don't see James as much as I see Ryan for obvious reasons. Ryan's still being based in the States, but it's, it's awesome to still be in contact with them and, and uh, admire the hell out of them as people and as competitors. And with James, it went on a bit longer. Um, I left Italy and, and we'll get to that later, but spent a few seasons in the UK and shared a house there with James and um, lots, of, lots of great times. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. And like you said there, you were only like 15 years old, you know, when you packed up your things and you went over there to Europe. What was it like for you in that moment? Were you very daunted by all those, you know, moving over so young and not really having any of your family and friends over there? Or what was it like? No, I, it was it was great. I mean, it, you didn't have to ask me twice if I wanted to leave school and leave my family behind and go uh, – carting around the world with, with one of the best teams in the business. Um, I think most kids would, would give, give a, a right arm for that. But um, there, there weren't many lonely times, mainly because um, good camaraderie with team members and, and drivers. Uh, and, and really, there wasn't a lot of time to sit around um, between studies, full-time uh, work, and then racing every single day uh, that, that there was a race. Uh, the, the schedule was full, so season flew by and got to see a lot of the world, got to see a lot of Europe too. Um, we drove to most of the races. Sometimes we'd jump in the, one of the rigs and, and drive with the truck drivers. So no, it was a great opportunity experience. I, I wouldn't trade for anything. And the racing was, was awesome too. I mean, it was just so many heat races on a weekend and, and such intense competition, as I mentioned, that it really helped me develop as a driver. It, it, it helped me transition as far as racecraft and speed over one lap and everything in between. And, yeah, just just loved every minute of it. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like an awesome time. And at that point in time in your career, had you set yourself many goals long term, or was you just, or were you just seeing how you were going at the time? Oh, the goals were to to win win races at an international level. Um, America and their drivers hadn't had the best reputation of sort of showing up and and being used to different types of spec racing with harder tires and different engines. Um, so it, it took a while to um, really just find my feet and, and be fit enough to battle there at the front and, and know how to deal and manage with the tires. Um, but we, we found some good success early on. We won the uh, Italian Winter Cup, which was kind of one of the big opening races of, of the Italian season. And so um, fun to, to just get, get up on the top step of the podium for a few of those races. And the whole season was a bit up and down um, with, with what tire you were running at which, which race. It depended on, there was such a tire battle amongst the manufacturers that it depended between Vega, Dunlop, and Bridgestone who was bringing the secret sauce tires. And of course, everything that mattered was just like in all levels of motorsport, the weather, uh, the track abrasiveness, et cetera. So um, rough and tumble, but learned, learned a ton and, and only wish I would have stayed longer than the European karting ranks, but um, there was an opportunity to jump up and, and race in some, some small displacement single seaters. And I knew that the opportunities might not be there forever. And I didn't have the family or, or private backing to be too selective. So um, jumped out of there after only uh, what felt like a couple of seasons, but it was really one long year of racing internationally and karting. You know, we mentioned, you know, growing up watching motorsport as a kid as well. Who were your favorite drivers? Who did you look up to? Who were your mentors? 
Uh, as a kid, I, I kind of liked the diverse and rebellious drivers. Anybody um, in the American scene that could just jump in and, and go fast in, in all different dif- disciplines of cars, you know, Robbie Gordon, Tony Stewart, these guys that, you know, they had IndyCar accolades, they had um, short track accolades, off-road, NASCAR, they, they sort of did it all. And, you know, they weren't the cleanest uh, competitor or, or personality, uh, but they were interesting. And as a, a teenage kid, you know, you kind of like that rebellious outlaw um, of the personality of those guys. So um, that was mainly on the domestic scene. Um, when I watched Formula One, you know, early 90s, of course, Senna was the, the guy that I really admired and looked up to. And then as Schumacher came on the scene and, and really um, became the guy, it was interesting to see those two. And naturally, they, they were often talked about how close and, and how active they stayed with their roots in karting. So it was really relatable um, to me as a, a teenager to see that these guys were in Formula One and, and dominating in their, their eras and, and still jumped back in karts. Well, yeah, and, and like you've said there, you know, you're doing world championship karting events, and we've talked about some, you know, some iconic F1 drivers there. You got to race up against some future world champions as well in your early days there. Talk about some of the guys that you were coming up against. Yeah, I, I mean, at the karting level, uh, Alonzo was the same age as, as Ryan and I in, in that sort of year of, of 15 years old, I remember, uh, or 14 years old, my first five continents cup and lining up against, uh, Fernando and he was always a, a really sort of thinker, um, super smooth in a card and, and really great to race against. Um, later on in, in formula Renault, uh, shared a season, uh, with, with Lewis Hamilton and, uh, actually got to know him a bit earlier. Um, he was racing for Dino Chiesa, who was kind of the mentor and tuner of, of Bristol and myself. And as he came along, him and Nico, uh, joined Dino and they formed MBM, which was a Mercedes-Benz McLaren um, sort of junior team in karting. And so got to know Lewis and his family and, and Nico at the same time. And um, racing against him, uh, it was it was evident and, and really easy to see that he had such a natural ability to find speed with very little experience. I remember I had been a few years in cars when he came over to the UK and, and joined us in, in Formula Renault. Um, Will Davison was in there that year. Jamie Green, a uh, a lot of quick, quick guys that ended up making a pro career in, in racing. And, uh, you know, Lewis was probably 17 or so and just a really quick rookie right off the bat. But yeah, lots of, lots of fast guys over the years, you know, getting to know Jensen and Anthony Davidson and, um, some of the Brits that, that was amazing. They were a bit older than me. So, um, not a lot of crossover in the car racing, but, uh, certainly in the carts, it was great to be around all those guys. Yeah. Well, you know, you're on that journey up through the formula categories. We've had a few of the up-and-coming drivers of today, uh, like Oscar Piastri, Jack Doohan, and Alex Peroni join us and talk about just how much money is involved working their way up through the ranks. What was it like back when you were racing, you know, in those junior categories? It certainly changed. It seems like the, the guys you mentioned are, are even in a deeper pool of, of funding needed. Um, for us, it seems... Uh, unobtainium to have to raise half a million dollars US to go into Formula 3 and now I'm sure that's probably not even half of it um, but back then I mean again my dad's a carpenter uh, my mom's a stay-at-home mom so I didn't really have um, big backers or funding and sort of just had to look for the scholarships and uh, different rides that were available there was some some help from friends and family you know back home and I remember coming back in the winter and thinking about different ways to 
get people to kick a few bucks my way just to at least pay for rent and cell phones. But that's sort of the story of, of young racing drivers. You just had to kind of fight every way you could to, to get to the top. But uh, yeah, as I look at today's day and age, it's probably uh, the same amount of money to do a full year of karting as it was for us to run Formula Ford or, or Formula Renault. So uh, never easy, but I think it is uh, kind of a, a filtration system of, of those who are willing to fight tooth and nail to um, figure out how to fund the racing, how to find the rides, to find where the scholarships are at. And I think that it, it is um, one of the toughest parts, if not the toughest part of the sport, but it also is a marketing degree. It's a business degree and you learn how to sell, you learn how to uh, create relationships and find little holes of business to business partnerships or working with OEM manufacturers and, and trying to bring suppliers to them and squeeze a commission off the back end. So the creativity of, of looking for money, although it's, it's, it's the most challenging part of the sport as a youngster, when you just really want to drive and show, show your talent off. Um, I think it bodes well for the future, um, no matter what you do in your life. Lamar in 2004, you won on debut. What were the emotions standing on that top step of the podium at Le Mans? Oh, I was tired. <laughs> I remember uh, thinking, <laughs> you know, sun coming up the second day and thinking, man, we got six more hours to go in this deal. And uh, I was ready to kind of curl up and just uh, pass out. But um, relief, um, a little bit of shock. Uh, there wasn't a huge wave of emotion. I was just so glad. Uh, that it was over and 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 that we we battled hard against the Freisinger car all night long, and uh, you know my teammates looked pretty fresh, but I I was a wreck. Um, just just awesome to have teammates that believed in you. Um, I think there were times that week where you know I was a couple seconds off and not really understanding how how to find that last bit of pace at Le Mans. The speeds there are just so high, and you have to have a lot of circuit knowledge with the length of the lap and not dissimilar to Bathurst or Nürburgring. You, you really need the, the laps there, especially in that day and era. Um, we didn't have a lot of tire. There weren't really any driver aids. And so it was a bit more old school than it is now. A uh, lot, lot less margin for error. No no real paved runoffs or, or any of the things you see at Le Mans on TV today. So uh, pretty daunting, but um, they got me up to speed. I think my, my stints on average were, were right there with any of the vets and uh, kind of pulled my own way. But I do remember the the final stint was supposed to be mine and we had the lead by, you know, I would say 10, 15 seconds. It surely wasn't um, a half a lap. And so it was going to be a sprint to the end. And I remember looking at Sasha who was, you know, 10 years older than me. And I just said, dude, you got to take this. I can't, my nerves can't handle it. So there was always kind of an innocence to my uh, early days where I knew that I had more to learn and I never counted myself as, you know, this, this phenom that, that had the speed or the, the knowledge to, to just be the best thing anybody had ever seen. I knew I had to earn the respect of, of the factory. So no, it was, it was good times. And uh, yeah, lots of emotion uh, probably a week after when I, when I got some rest. You also won Le Mans for the second time in 2007. Tell me, was it easier or harder winning it the second time? Uh, everything um, about winning is, is always difficult. Uh, it was a, it was a unique race. I remember finishing the race uh, for the team in the wet and uh, a pretty changing condition, uh, torrential uh, type of condition. Uh, but the most of the difference was just knowing my surroundings, having had a few more of those 24 hours under my belt. I felt much fresher and crisper in the car. I had a rookie teammate, Richard Leach, who's a really close friend of mine. And it was his first time at Lamar. 
I had him and I had a pro-am driver, uh, Raymond Narak, who was a really serious and, and great driver, but he was a guy that had a full-time job and, and did this for, for kind of a journeyman, uh, passionate project. And with all of that, um, leading the team, um, that was a, a great uh, reward. It felt different to be kind of the, the most accomplished or, or at least experienced driver um, in the team. Uh, the team really relied on, on me to do the setup, uh, the qualifying you know, take the start of the race, finish the race. So there was a lot more responsibility. And therefore, the second race was that much sweeter from from a leadership perspective. Um, but never, never any easier, just sort of was a li- little bit more prepared. The other cool thing that you got to do in 2010 was back then we had the Gold Coast 600 V8 Supercars race and it was an international event. The very first time it was an international event in 2010 and you came down and you drove at one of the iconic teams in Australian motorsport, Gary Rogers Motorsport. You were driving with Michael Caruso. Talk about that experience of coming all the way to Australia with a bunch of your international friends to drive a V8 supercar. Yeah, you, you can't see the smile on my face right now, but I promise you there's a big one um, for a lot of reasons, um, mainly because living with Aussies, usually there was an auto action that came in the mail. So I found myself always reading up on Australian motorsport, especially V8 and following all the different championships. And of course the drivers we've mentioned that I, I had relationships with and had either um, been friendly with or, or uh, raced on the same team with. And, and to finally go down under uh, to race and it, it lived up to all his expectations. It, it succeeded them. Um, but the other half of my smile is, is the name Gary Rogers. I mean, you guys know him. Uh, what a character. Uh, what a racer. Uh, just just a, uh, couldn't have imagined uh, a better team for a kid uh, to land in Australia for his first run in a V8 supercar uh, in a pretty competitive time um, in that championship with some amazing drivers that I had watched, you know, on, on TV and on YouTube. Um, put V8 on the, on the edge and now I was lining up next to him in the middle of their full championship and we were all rookies but um, the side note and, and kind of the fun of, of the event in, in the Australian Supercar Championship bringing uh, internationals in for those those races at uh, the Gold Coast we were completely uh, just out of our depth in, in pace, in, in antics in everything and how to understand just how competitive it was and how unique it was to drive a V8 in, in those times with a spool instead of a diff and shifting with the left hand and, and the size of the cars and the horsepower. And uh, I remember the spec brake package. It, was, it felt like you were trying to stop a truck going into the first chicane at, uh, at the Gold Coast. So fun times. Uh, the team uh, was super welcoming and, and made it easy for me to transition. But most of the internationals that first year were really big names from IndyCar and Formula One and sports car racing. And I was the least known driver by far out of all the drivers that were lining up on the grid, so much so that the organizers weren't really keen on Gary's uh, decision to bring me in. And uh, they didn't even want me staying in the same hotel as all the other internationals because they just thought I was sort of a no-namer that wasn't really helping them promote their their big race. But uh, the race the races went well, and uh, I think we, we led some laps in the race while I was in my stint um, on a little bit of an alternative strategy. But, um, yeah, the party was not bad either after the race. Well, you're definitely impressed because in 2011 you got invited back and you're with Walkinshaw Racing, one of the other iconic teams 
in the Supercars Championship, and you drove Fabian Coulthard that weekend, and another strong run, fifth and eleventh, I think, in the two races there. Yeah, what what was it like driving for the Walkinshaw team? I was awesome. Um, you know, getting getting the call up. Um, I think my buddy James put a good word in for me at Walkinshaw because he was he was running there. Courtney was running there at that time, and uh, joining Fabian was was awesome. I had met him before when he was racing over in Europe, and. There's certainly a, a bigger team. Um, I believe it was the three cars, the two red cars, and and then the Bundaberg car, and um, a different atmosphere, uh, a lot more, a lot more uh, serious off the track, but um, similar on track. I mean, Gary ran an amazing organization, and then um, joining the Walkinshaw guys was was a great uh, goal of mine as well to be in there with kind of the factory supported Holden team. Um, so yeah, just just two amazing years. I wish it would have been longer, but we had some clashes in the ch- in the calendar, uh, the third and fourth time that they did it, uh, or maybe it was the second time. I don't know. I missed a couple of, of times when they had the internationals, but um, a wild and, and fun time and great memories. Well, yeah. Well, 2017, uh, you know, you'd, you'd been to the mountain to compete at the Bathurst 12-hour a few times uh, with your old friend uh, Alex Davison and also David Calvert-Jones. And then in 2017, you teamed up with Calvert-Jones, Mark Lieb, and another Australian, Matt Campbell. Talk about that that race weekend. Uh, I mean, Campbell was just such a breath of fresh air. Um, you, you know him. A lot of your listeners know him. He's just a, a great guy. Uh, gets in the car uh, with a smile, comes out with a smile, uh, doesn't ask for much, and... and at the mountain. Um, he's as quick as anybody. Um, fun racing with David Calvert Jones, you know, Los Angeles based Aussie, uh, knows his way around, uh, Bathurst and really put all of his energy and focus into one race a year. And that was Bathurst. And he had great sponsors. Um, I have fond memories of working with the ice break guys and, and all the different promotions we did leading up to the race. And then just to finally, um, be able to win class there um, at the mountain um, and add that to the CV. Um, such a, an iconic racetrack all around the world. And, and you just hope that one time you'll get the chance to race there, uh, let alone to walk up on, on the podium at the end of the weekend. So um, really grateful for, for those four years in, in racing uh, at the 12 hour and fun to come back and, and meet some of the people that I met initially racing V8. Um, but now I was there in, in the country that I loved racing at in Australia, but in machinery that I was much more comfortable in. And, and luckily, because I couldn't imagine showing up to Bathurst in a V8 for your first time and not knowing the car or the track. I mean, that I've seen a lot of internationals do that. And after, after <laughs> driving that racetrack, I have even more respect for those guys. 2020, for everyone, this was a very, very weird, very unique year. It started off, you know, pretty normal for, for a lot of the motorsport world. Uh, you were with right racing in the GTD car for the IMSA Championship. Things started off at the Rolex 24 at Daytona, obviously. But talk about everything that transpired with the pandemic and what it did for motorsport, what it did for you personally, because it was quite a roller coaster for everyone in the motorsport world. But, you know, after things started to calm down a little, things resumed and you were on fire with your results. You had four podium finishes, and you closed out the season with a win at Sebring. Talk about 2020. 
Yeah, wild, wild year um, outside of the car. Um, being shut down for three months uh, was was different for everybody. Um, personally, it, it put me in a headspace where I really got to step back from racing and and look at everything in life and and understand uh, what the whole game was about, um, both in motorsport and outside of motorsport. And and it was it was good for me. Um, I was I was supported and and lucky to have a young family around me, a great wife, and and. My parents uh, live about a couple hours north, so we spent some time up there uh, on their ranch uh, just to kind of get away from it all and, and get outside of the city. Um, I realized that the, the trend or, or the news was we were going to go back to racing sort of middle of the summer and that we were going to come back in a different modified schedule and it was going to be in Florida. And Florida in the summer is one place you don't want to be. It's just so hot and so humid the best time to be in Florida is in the, in the winter. And, and now we were going to be racing at, at, at tracks that we normally were there in, in the spring at latest. So just went back to training um, really, really hard. Uh, a lot of carding, uh, a lot of cardio, a lot of weights. And when I got back um, to the race car, uh, I just felt, you know, 10 years younger. Uh, I was clear in my head and, and felt fit and rested and, and hungry. And I had a team behind me that was the same and we were just nailing it, uh, with pit stop strategy. The Porsche was, was reliable as ever, but also quick, um, and, and had some strong teammates. And with that, um, one of my most memorable seasons as a driver and we didn't start off that great. Um, but we had a really consistent run, um, through the middle of the championship and, uh, as some other teams kind of had some highs and lows and certainly there were some favorites above us who had kind of two pro drivers in the car where we had a an amateur starting and then I was finishing um as the pro uh, we had some some positions to climb back and claw back uh, up to the front toward the end of the races but um winning that final race of the year at Sebring um just just a crazy race that went down to the wire and racing through the pitch black of Sebring um really late in the season pretty cold uh, we had a broken damper, so it, the car was a little bit hurt, but it seemed to actually help us on traction to have a rear damper that was soft, and uh, we had some good fight off of the corners, and uh, yeah, missed the championship by one point, which was uh, unreal, um, but also finishing uh, with a victory is, is the best way to head into the off season. so uh, just one of my favorite races, or race seasons uh, of, of my run um, in my whole career, and uh, just so close. Talk about season 2021. Talk about this year because it's been another eventful year, you know, another year of the pandemic, obviously. And you made the decision not that long ago to step away from full-time driving. Before we talk about that, talk about the on-track action earlier on in the year. Yeah, great season. Uh, We ended up winning the Endurance Cup, which uh, is the four Enduros, um, the points championship that runs independent to the overall season. So, really strong on the endurance races uh, down to the team. Uh, we had the pace as drivers, but the team just put us in the position to win that um, with strategy uh, pit stops. Uh, the amount of pit stops and yellow flags in, in American GT racing is crazy. And so you really have to play the strategy to get all of the points because they pay points, not just for the finish of the race, but at the certain milestones um, during a 24 hour race, for instance, I think it's the eight hour, uh, the 12 hour, um, and then the 24 hours. So you have to really uh, play your strategy, but keep yourself in the game for the, the overall uh, win as well. So um, 
fun to win that. Uh, didn't find as much pace or success uh, in, in the beginning and the end of the sprint races. But uh, through the middle of the year, we had, I think, a run of three or four podiums. And, and in this discipline of GT with GT3 and ABS and all the manufacturers, I mean, there's 12, 13 cars that could win the race legitimately every single weekend. So um, even podiums uh, at times felt as, as big as a victory in other eras of the sport. Um, so great time. Uh, and, and just to mention that the team, um, you know, I've been with Wright Motorsports since 2016 and to run five seasons with them, um, the type of team that I want as a driver, um, not the biggest team, uh, really focused on one or two cars, but highly, highly, uh, engineering focused. Um, and then just keeping it real and having a good time and not taking yourself too seriously. So, you know, after you've been at the sport, uh, you know, a while, you really want that blend of a race car that's just perfect, but maybe not as many responsibilities off the track or as much sort of fanfare. Um, and so it was a very mellow atmosphere and, and one that worked well for me and just loved the people that I was going racing with. So uh, I thought to myself at the end of the championship, um, man, it's, it's pretty unbelievable run uh, for me. And uh, I turned 40, which many say is, is not young, uh, but many say is, is not old. And I just felt like it was, um, you know, the right time for me. It was really a decision I made to step out of full-time racing uh, based on another opportunity. And that was to work with a company that's given me um, pretty much my whole career. And I had two contracts in front of me um, that, that, meant I needed to, you know, really focus uh, my time on, on some different challenges inside of motorsport and in the road car side of things and a, a runway um, that could be 25 to 30 years of work for me um, and, and work that's interesting and competitive and um, engaging and, and the ability to still have uh, interaction with fans and, and race teams, etc. So yeah, that was uh, a, a tough, a tough, opportunity but or, or sorry a tough decision but also a pretty easy decision and it was one that I didn't take lightly I I had thought about it um for the whole year and and I'll admit it's not uh, easy to have that decision kind of hanging over your head and and the option to go either way uh and, and to still keep your focus and to still get in the car clear-minded and put all of that to the side and and perform because you know there's there's opportunity, there's sponsors, there's people that have invested a lot of money to give you the chance to uh, be the lead driver on the team. And the last thing you want to do is send the wrong message that um, you're not there uh, with any less than a hundred percent of a race driver's focus. So um, a lot to balance. I was certainly relieved uh, to finally get that announcement out at the beginning of the, the final race of the season and then to go out and, and race and battle at the front and, and to put some lap times and, and some solid stints up on the board. Uh, knowing that that was my, my last full-time race, um, it was ironic that my engineer uh, had me out there for a triple stint um, kind of in the late afternoon into the sunset and, and some of the toughest conditions of Petit Le Mans. But um, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way because I just felt when I got on the airplane um, after that race that, you know, motorsport was, was the full focus of my life uh, for for two thirds of my years on this planet, and uh, kind of went out um, still in in what I felt was the prime of my ability, 
and uh, can kind of now go off and, and take the next chapter, but also not calling it retirement, not saying that I'm not going to race ever again, but as far as full-time um, discipline, at least for right now, um, 2022 will bring a, a different schedule. Oh, fantastic. And I have to ask, you know, you've got such a busy schedule still, you know, now that you've stepped down from the driving commitments. Do you get to watch many of the major championships, your Formula One, your IndyCar, and even the supercars? Do you get to watch any of that in your time off? I don't watch a ton of TV. Um, I, I do uh, slip in uh, here and there. Uh, the IndyCar stuff on the road courses has been really good to watch over the years. Um, certainly F1 has captivated me, uh, this last couple of seasons, especially with, with Mercedes and Lewis, um, having more competition. And I mean, everybody was talking about this year and, and I had been watching, um, all the races, uh, you know, with my son who loves watching it. And I was, I, I hadn't had a heart rate that high watching a race in a very long time. Um, from, from when they went back to green there on that final run. Um, in Abu Dhabi and I was cheering for Lewis um, but I was more just watching it as a fan and 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 so happy that you had two teams uh, just knock down drag out brawl at the end of a championship of a Formula One world championship and we've all remembered the years with Villeneuve and Schumacher or Hill and Schumacher and I was sure they were going to crash after after um, Saudi Arabia I was sure the last race was going to be a, a crash and I'm glad it wasn't and you can totally debate the rules and and what happened um and in, in those final moments of the race but I think when this all all the drama dies down and we look back four or five years from now we'll still be talking about that race and just the the talent and the speed um of those two drivers of Max and Lewis and and also the level uh that both of those teams brought all season long so I thought it was great. Um, I understand we're in the Netflix era of Formula One and, and Liberty Media, and I think that it's brought more viewers to the, the sport. But now I would personally hope that it kind of doesn't go any further into the entertainment antics and stays as a pure form of FIA uh, motorsport. So, yeah, we'll see. But um, pretty, pretty uh, captivating to watch. Patrick Long, just before we finish up, the final one of all the years in motorsport, is there one particular moment, one highlight that stands out for you for your entire career in motorsport? Uh, uh, I, I think it's more of a general answer. Any day where you come from behind um, and, and, and push through the field, uh, those, are, those are the best days at, at the racetrack, in my opinion. Um, where the odds are against you and, and you've got a piece under you and, and you're, you're just completely focused. It feels effortless and, and you're able to hustle um, back maybe from some adversity or, or a tough starting spot. Those are always the most rewarding days um, because you just, you just have to charge. Um, and, and there's been plenty of those days um, for, for lots of drivers and, and those are the ones that, that stand out for me. Fantastic stuff. Well, Patrick Long, it's been such a pleasure to have you join us on the podium. It's been an awesome career that you've had in motorsport so far. Sure, it's going to continue with your new roles there with Porsche. All the very best, and thanks again for joining us on the podium. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, been been an interesting one, and uh, 
lots of memories refreshed. So appreciate it. And I'll be listening to your show to, to learn about some of these other guests you have on. Patrick Long there joining us on the podium. And if you want to catch an extended version of that interview where we talk in a lot more detail about his career achievements, you can head over to your favorite podcasting platform. It's probably where you're listening to this podcast and you can get up to speed on that one there. Right after this, we're going to wrap things up with the podium of the week. Yes, it's time to wrap things up now with the podium of the week. And for anyone new to this, welcome. What we do here is we celebrate three performances from the motorsport world. And we do it in a 3-2-1 format. So position number three on the podium of the week. We're going to give it to the guy that won at the mountain a few weeks ago. It's Lee Holdsworth. And of course, it's just been announced that Lee will be returning to the Supercars Championship in a full-time capacity next season with Grove Racing after that awesome performance there in the season-ending race of the Supercars Championship. So exciting stuff there for Lee. So for all that, Lee Holdsworth gets position number three on the podium of the week. Position number two on the podium of the week, we're going to give it to an Australian driver that's done a lot in season 2021. He started the championship season competing in the FIA Formula 3 championship. He finished the championship year competing in the FIA Formula 2 championship. Very strong runs in both championships there. It's Jack Doohan. And Jack, more recently, finished the final testing session in the FIA Formula 2 championship as the fastest driver. So for all that, Jack Doohan, he gets position number two on the podium of the week. And position number one on the podium of the week, we're going to give it to the guy that won the FIA Formula 2 Championship. It's Oscar Piastri. And what a season he had. He, he blitzed the entire field. He's also been announced as the Alpine reserve driver for next season. And in addition to all that, just recently, he was named the FIA Rookie of the Year. So for all that, Oscar Piastri, he gets position number one on the podium of the week. And that's about it for this edition of the show. Until next time, it's bye for now, and thanks for joining us on the podium.